please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we come before you this morning once again asking you to be here with us, and we trust that you are here. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So I want to read to you from this prophecy from Isaiah 61 again. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I feel like uh, prophecy has sort of fallen out of favor in recent years. We don't think about prophecy very much, and when we do think about it, or at least when I think about prophecy, I think about standing in line at the grocery store and reading headlines from the, the weekly world news. You know, Nostradamus predicted Sarah Palin, or the existence of Justin Bieber proves Mayan calendar correct world to end in 2012. Of course, now that 2012 is a distant memory, prophecy like this has become a little bit of a joke. Do you remember that pastor, Harold Camping, who predicted the end of the world twice, two different times in 2011? He was wrong once, the world continued. He didn't learn his lesson, predicted the end of the world again, and was wrong again. I looked him up on the internet, actually. He's not only retired, but he's gone into hiding. And see, this is the problem with prophecy. Eventually, someone's going to check to see if your prophecy came true. So here's a tip for those of you who are thinking about coming out with a prophecy. First, either do one of two things. Either prophesy about something that's going to happen so far in the future that you and all your followers will be long dead, or make your prophecy so general that it's almost certain to come true. Like you could say, the earth will split in half in 4,000 years. You're going to be safe. You're not going to be around to see it one way or another. Or you could say, there will be large waves in Australia and civil unrest in the Middle East. And again, you're going to be pretty safe that those things are going to happen. That's, that's safe prophecy. But today... We have what purports to be an honest-to-goodness prophecy in our reading from Isaiah. It comes from Isaiah, written um, hundreds of years B.C. I'm not concerned so much, and no one's concerned really about when prophecies are written, when they're spoken, because that's not the important thing about prophecies, is it? I bet no one cared about Nostradamus when Nostradamus was actually walking around. People started to care about Nostradamus when the things he said were going to happen started to seem like they were going to happen, if you believe in that sort of thing. But this is the way it's always been with prophecy. What's really important about prophecy is what happens when it starts coming true. We say, sure, sure, when you make a prophecy, but people will start to really listen to you if your prophecies seem to be coming true. So I want to take a moment to look at the other end of this prophecy from Isaiah concerning the coming Messiah and the wonderful things he would do, good news for the oppressed, binding up for the brokenhearted, liberty for the captives, release for the prisoners, the year 
of the Lord's favor. So soon after Jesus was baptized by John and went into and subsequently came out of the desert, he went home to Nazareth. And again, this is hundreds and hundreds of years after this prophecy from Isaiah. Jesus had gotten a bit of a reputation as a preacher. And so the first time he shows up in the synagogue at Nazareth, his hometown, the place is packed. I'm going to read to you now just a bit from the Gospel of Luke Beginning in the fourth chapter, Jesus stood up to read. And again, he's in his hometown in a packed church service. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine? The hair stands up on the back of my neck every time I read this passage. I sat in my office this week trying to think of an example of what could happen today in a church service like this to make us feel like those people must have felt that day. I couldn't think of a single thing. I mean, like an alien invasion or something. Something incredible. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The people had been hearing this scripture, this section of Isaiah, read to them for their whole lives. The promise of the coming Messiah. He would come. He would make everything better. Good news for the poor. Freedom for prisoners. Sight for the blind. Freedom For the oppressed, truly he would usher in the year of the Lord's favor. And now, here in church, during a regular worship service, this man, this man they'd all seen as a little boy, as a teenager, stands up in church, reads that sacred prophecy, and then says that he is its fulfillment. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And we talk about good news here a lot. But even as much as we talk about it, I have trouble wrapping my mind around what good news this must have been at that time to those who believed it. The Messiah has come. He is here. It must be said, of course, that not everyone believed it. In fact, Before Jesus was even done with his sermon, the congregation had run him out of the synagogue and tried to throw him off a cliff. I'm trusting you to at least wait until I'm finished. But to those who heard his words and believed them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You're waiting for the Messiah. I'm him. Wow. And as much of a wow moment as Jesus' announcement is, there's another wow moment here 
Although I've got to be honest, when I first read this scripture from Luke, I read right over it. It wasn't until I read it in conjunction with the longer section of Isaiah's prophecy that we read this morning that I caught it. In the synagogue, Jesus ends his reading with the year of the Lord's favor line. But if he continued it, and if you read along with Isaiah this morning, he would have read the next line, which is, and the day of vengeance of our God. Seriously, that's the next line. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, release to the prisoners, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Puts a little different spin on things, doesn't it? You see, this is a big part of what the Jews were expecting and what most religious people expect even today. When the Messiah comes, when God Almighty comes into the world, he was supposed to exalt the good guys and punish the bad guys. Right? The Jews were supposed to be exalted and their enemies would be punished. But by stopping where he did, Jesus is making a particular kind of announcement. Jesus, it doesn't seem brings vengeance. You've all heard John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. He has not come to condemn the world but to save it. And here we come once again to the distinction that we've talked about so many times. The distinction between the good news and the bad news. Between the law and the gospel. Between grace and judgment. Between love and critique. The Jews were expecting a Messiah that embodied both as they understood them. And we all understand them the same way. We want gospel for us and law for them. Favor for the righteous. Vengeance for the sinner. Grace for our nation. Judgment for our enemies. Love for the good. Criticism for the bad. But that's not the Messiah that they got. That's not the Jesus we get. Jesus stopped the reading. He rolled up the scroll and sat down. We know that Jesus said again and again that he came for the sick, for the sinner, that the righteous, he said, have no need of him. You see, he didn't come to make distinctions between people. He came to break distinctions down. He knew that everyone needed saving. To Jesus, everyone was the sinner. Everyone was the enemy. Everyone was them. Everyone was going to get the vengeance of God but for his intervention. St. Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, says that as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, his message was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes 
in Christ. The Jesus we preach, says St. Paul, the Jesus we believe in is not finally a Jesus of gospel and law. He's not finally a Jesus of grace and judgment, not a Jesus of love and critique. He's not a Jesus of yes and no. Our Savior, our Messiah, Jesus Christ the righteous, is a Savior of love, of grace. He is the very embodiment of the good news, the gospel. He proclaims the law, yes, but at the end, finally, he shouts, it is finished, and dies for the sins of the world, and is raised again for our justification. Isaiah's prophecy that we read this morning, just a few more verses on from where Jesus stopped reading, explicitly describes this good news. Isaiah says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Listen to that. He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. In that great moment on the cross, Jesus Christ, who wore by right, by virtue of his holy life, it was Jesus who wore the garments of salvation, the robe of righteousness, but in that moment on the cross, Jesus took off those clothes and gave them to us, to you. His goodness for your sin, his yes for your no. We wonder, daily it seems, hourly, if God could possibly have come for us, if God could possibly love us, if we could possibly have what it takes to be acceptable to him. But in Christ there is no qualification. God's answer is always yes. Remember Paul, no matter how many promises God has made, he says, they are yes in Christ. Every single one. So here we are, the third Sunday of Advent, just a week because of this shortened Advent season from our annual celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. A Jesus who came to earth to be grace in the face of the world's judgment, to be love in the face of the world's critique, to be the gospel in the face of the law, and to be God's yes to us. Jesus, who came to earth to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Messiah, our Savior, has come.
Thanks be to God. Amen.